Now, home is a lot of work. Work. When work at home is planned and organized for cooperation, there can usually be more time for leisure. I'm certainly in favor of those things. Leisure, fun. Who is it? Wouldn't we all be happier if we worked out a little system for living together in harmony? And how can we manage them? We'll have to work out the full answer together. Same on can be solved through frank and friendly discussion, which points the way to a happy family life. You know, this is beginning to be quite a family project. It certainly is. Yeah, raise your hand if that's how your family goes. Amber, remember our family meetings we would have on Sunday nights? Yeah, it didn't look like that. <laughs> Amber would have her pad out and be taking notes, and Corey would be just like, this is so stupid. <laughs> My name's Matt Flynn, and I'm, one of, I'm the eldest person on staff, as Clayton wants to remind you. <laughs> I didn't know if I was going to make it up the stairs, but I did. This may be the last time I can preach, because I don't know if I get up these stairs again. You know, <clears throat> I've been called a vessel. I've been called a lot of things today. I've been called Clayton. I don't know if that's good or not. <laughs> uh, I found out this morning what I'm preaching on. <laughs> we flipped on marriage and children, and I got marriage. I've been known for something in the office that marriage is hard. That's a, a quote that's been uh, put on me. And then the other one, that children are a burden. And next week, Clayton is preaching on children, and he's going to tell you why they're such a burden. <laughs> So I can't wait for that sermon. It's going to be really good. So, uh, but I am, on the topic I am is on marriage today. And this is going to be a little different for me. Those of you who know me and have, have sat in my classes, I'm a kind of the experiencing God kind of guy. I want to teach discipleship. And I want to dig down in God's word. I want to just hit you with a ton of scripture and lead you into God's word of why he loves you and why he wants us to obey him and all those kind of things. And, and this is a lot different for me. I'm passionate about discipleship, but I'm also passage, pa, pas, passionate about marriage and how important it is. Uh, because you think about that, besides a relationship with our Heavenly Father, there is no one relationship that is more intimate than a marriage relationship between a husband and a wife. And when we take those vows, for better or for worse, sickness and health, for richer or for poorer, we are coveting with God what he created in the very beginning for this intimate relationship. And so I'm passionate about it, but I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna be just more today just kind of really sharing with you a little bit about me and, and my story and how these couple of verses I'm going to share with you have impacted how I'm living out my life. There's many of you know my story, but I also know that we have a guest here and the people online and not everybody knows, but uh, I got married to my high school sweetheart. I was a senior in high school. She was a junior. I played football. She was a cheerleader. It was one of those things, you know, and we dated all the way through college. And when she graduated from college after dating for six years, we got married, and I've, I've said this, and I'll continue to say it. I always married up. 
Kelly was the best part of our marriage because she was just up here and I was just like down here, you know, but she was the best part. So I always feel like I got the best deal out of that thing. Had great kids, Corey and Amber and some awesome grandchildren and just, but you know, we had that marriage that everybody would kind of look at and go, wow, you know, you guys got a great marriage. And I really do believe we did have a great marriage. Uh, we were married for almost 33 years and in the last seven years of our marriage, she came down with breast cancer and, uh, as only she could do, um, glorified God all the way to the very end until she passed away. And so I was in a new territory uh, as a single man and just trying to figure out what's next, still serving here at the church. And as only God can do, uh, answered a lot of prayers and answered a huge one for me about bringing someone in, into my life. And when I met Charlene and uh, we got married, and you're going to hear more about our relationship throughout this sermon, but uh, I just kind of want to give you a little background. I, I think this is where Clayton was going when he said, I'm experienced in marriage <laughs> because I've probably been married a long time <laughs> on this. And so, uh, but I just want to share with you a few things uh, about marriage. Today's sermon is called, I Choose You. And uh, if you think about this, there's a lot of things that we don't get a choice about. We don't get to choose our parents. We don't even get to choose our children. But we get to choose, in a sense, who we're going to marry. As we start dating and we start praying, we start looking to, to see, does God have someone out there for us? And when we go to that altar, really what we're doing is we're saying, I choose you. And if, if that's the case, if I get to go, and in Charlene's case, she gets to choose me and I get to choose her, then why is marriage so hard? Why is there difficulty in, in, in the marriage relationships if this is something that we get to choose and walk into? And it's of God, because we know that. Matter of fact, if you go to Genesis 2.10, you get into the scripture there where God had been creating day after day. Everything is good. Everything is good until you get to day six. And when he created man, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a suitable helper. And it's at that point that we know that we needed to love and be loved because we needed someone in our life. We needed someone to love and we needed to be the recipient of someone loving us. So if God created marriage, and, it, and he doesn't ever, I believe this beyond a shadow of a doubt, he doesn't create anything to harm us, and the only thing that he creates is good and perfect things, why then can it be so difficult? Why is marriage so hard? I've been doing premarital counseling for a long time and done a lot of weddings, but it wasn't until recently when I read the, this book called the, the Four Laws of Love, Love by Jimmy Evans that I began to really rethink how to even do the marriage ceremonies that I do. And I actually use one of these laws in there. But it really not only changed how I do wedding ceremonies and how I even do premarital counseling, it changes of how I'm a husband to Charlene. Because I, as this was explained to me, it became unraveled before me, I begin to see even now at the age that I am with all the maturity that I have, that I can be so much better at a husband. And so that's my challenge to you today. You may be sitting out there going, well, I'm not married. Well, you may not be married, but I guarantee you, you could be an influencer. You know 
someone that you could even guide and share this, what I'm going to share with you today, and say, hey, you need to go get this book, or, or you need to go listen to this podcast, or you need to go take this online assessment. Whatever it may be, you could be an influencer. But if you are married today, maybe you could say today, what could I do to be intentional to have a better marriage? And if, if you're one of the young teenagers here and you're going, well, this isn't for me at all, it will be one day. And this maybe helps you lay out a little foundation of what spouse that you could be looking for and, and kind of how God looks at marriage. So if marriage is so hard, then why is it that way? What can we do about that? Well, if we, where I left off in Genesis there, but basically what happened is God parades all the animals in front of Adam and he's supposed to be naming them. And he's, it, eventually it had to hit him that there's a male and a female, a male and a female, and a male and a female of all these animals. And eventually he's got to be going, hey, I'm missing something. And it's at that point that God puts him to sleep, takes a rib, fashions, creates, molds. Guys were just made out of dirt, but God took his time <laughs> and created woman. And can you imagine after Adam has seen all these animals paraded before him, then he wakes up and sees this woman. He's just like, wow, <laughs> thank you, Lord, for this. <laughs> thank you. This is what he said. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. Now catch this. Immediately after Adam says this, God says this. These are the two verses we're going to be looking at today. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. See, I truly believe with those, four, those two verses, four laws come from that, that God is setting the parameters of how we are supposed to have a marriage. Guidelines, more than guidelines, they're, they're laws in the sense that if we obey what God just said right there, then we are set on the pace and the direction to have the kind of marriage that God designed marriage life to be. So the first law is this, the law of priority. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Yes, the Ten Commandments says to honor your father and mother, and that never goes away. But there comes a time at this marriage when God said to leave. When you break that down in the Hebrew, it says to let loose or loosen or relinquish the grip. So if you think about this, before you get married, the biggest influencers in your life are your parents. Or maybe if you're raised by your grandparents, but it's somebody else that you really put up on the pedestal right here because they're their authority figure over you and you're submitting to them, you're serving them, you're doing this because they're your parents. But God said this, at this point, I need you to not dishonor your mother and your father, but I need you to make your wife the number one priority in your life, not who raised you. And that's huge. Because all of a sudden we're shifting what we've been raised all this time with, with our parents. And now we're looking at them when we're making these vows on the altar that in sickness or health, it says, I'm with you. I'm all in. You're going to be my number one priority. There's a term called legitimate jealousy that, here's the definition of that. It says it's the righteous emotion that causes us to protect what is rightfully ours. So if me and Charlene are out somewhere and some guy comes up and hits on her or something like that, I'm going to get ticked off. Like, hey, <laughs> she's mine. 
And that's that, that anger comes from what? Jealousy, because she's my number one priority in my life. And you keep your hands off. And legitimate jealousy is, is, is biblical because if you go to Exodus 34, 14, this is what God told them, what he said. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. God loves us so much that he doesn't want us worshiping any other gods. Because he's a jealous God. And he only wants us to worship him. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't care if we worshiped other gods. But he loves us so much that he doesn't want us and our attention to go anywhere else. And that's how we are to treat our wife. That's how we, men and our spouses, if you're looking at it from that point, of how we treat our spouses. But if there's a law, there's a lie. Looking out for number one, I can tell you this. In my younger years, in my married life, even though I think we had a great marriage, I was very selfish. There was things that I would do that... Uh, that, you know, I was focused on my career. I was just, you know, how can I make more money? How can I do this or that? And, and even though I was there for my family, and I've even apologized to my kids sometimes before when I went through this hospital class, and I said, I'm sorry if I was at work so much. And, you know, oh, Dad, no, you were there for all our activities. But I just deep down know that I didn't always make Kelly and then my kids the highest priority in my life that I should. You'd think after all those years of being married like that, that it would kind of, I would grow and mature a little bit more. But, you know, when Charlene and I first got married, I'd been single for a while. And, we, and, and when we first got married, I just had the thing that I'd get up in the morning, I'd shower, I'd get ready for work, and then I'd just walk out. You know, I mean, it's not like we didn't talk. We were talking about different things. But then it was like, okay, I grabbed my keys off the deal and I'll walk out. Well, I didn't say anything to her. I just went to work, you know. And so one time she sat me down and she said, can I share something with you? And she told me the story about how her dad died. It was on a motorcycle accident. But the scenario basically is this. He went to be with his wife and, and her mother. At, I don't know if it was the hospital or the restaurant, wherever it was. But they said goodbye to each other, never knowing that was the last time they were going to talk. He got on his motorcycle, and it was, this is out in eastern Oklahoma where the roads are single lane and windy, and he was going around a corner, and he hit a horse, and he died. And can you imagine thinking back, what were the last words? Well, here's the thing. When she told me that, I'm like, I'm not making Charlene a priority in my life. So every time we leave now, I tell her I love her, and I tell her I'll see you later. Because I don't want those memories of how... Her mother and her dad parted ways, never to speak again. I want to make sure she's a priority. And Clayton mentioned this in a sermon long ago where you've got to set up your priorities. And he talked about God's got to be number one. Your spouse needs to be number two. And then if you've got children, they can be number three. And you can go below that. You can go to church, extended family, work, hobbies, whatever. But God and then your spouse set the priorities. And then you've got to prove that they are a priority. And the only way you can do that is how do you spend time with them? What do you do to meet their needs? You know, Charlene and I, we teach a Sunday school class together. We do a lot of things together. We, we, I, I purposely, we plan trips together. We work out together at the Y. We just do so many things together. On Fridays, 
this is what we, that's kind of our day. That's the day I protect. This is how I show Charlene she's a priority in my life. On Friday morning, I, I take her to work, and then I go get all my other errands run. I go work out, do whatever I do, go mow the lawn or something, and I shower, and then I come and pick her up. And when I pick her up, it's a continuation of our date day that started that morning when I dropped her off at work. And we may just go grocery shopping. Who knows what we do? But I protect Fridays for her because that's our time together. I'm making her a priority in my life. Law number two, the law of pursuit. And hold fast to his wife. And if you've got the King James Version, this is how I grew up, she'll cleave unto his wife. The word cleave in Hebrew means to pursue with great energy and to cling to do something zealously. That means marriage takes work. You have to put energy into it. Go back to when you were dating and all the energy that you were putting into it. it it's, you just can't just come to the, the, to the altar, say your vows, and just think, well, as long as we're together, we'll, our marriage will just get stronger. It can get stronger a little bit, but it can also, you can... It can get weaker. You have to work at your marriage. In Ephesians 5, uh, 22 through 29, it talks about wives, how you're supposed to treat your husbands and husbands to treat your wives. But the most important verse to me of all those is the little verse before it, Ephesians 5, 21. Paul is talking to believers, telling them how to be filled with the Spirit, how to love one another, and to, with one another sing psalms and praises. And the last one another he shares with them, he says, this is in verse 21, it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And immediately after he says that to believers, he says, wives, submit to your own, to your own husbands as your Lord. And you jump down from that, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ love the church. The Bible's very clear on the priority in which we should be doing this. But if there's a lie, I mean, if there's a, a law he, in this case, there's going to be a lie. And the lie number two is meeting my needs. If my spouse cannot my, meet my needs, I'll get my needs met in other ways. Uh-uh. We don't want to go down that road. God created us in a way, if I could meet all my own needs, why would I need Charlene? If Charlene could meet all her needs, why would she need me? But no, he created us so we can meet each other's needs. But my problem is because I've shared with you before in a sermon on uh, uh, being you know, in control of everything, kind of a control freak, I'm kind of that way sometimes. And so she'll offer to help me and I'll go, oh no, I got it. You know, An example is that I had knee replacement in October and then November rolls around, I want to get the Christmas lights up. And I was thinking, how am I going to do that? And she kept looking at me, you better not put those lights up there by yourself. So I thought, okay, you know, I better not. So, you know, I still got on the roof, but I had a couple people helping me. We got all the lights put up. You know, it was great. So uh, Christmas is over, and the lights need to come down. You know, I'm not going to call anybody and bother them. Charlene's not around, so I get up on the roof, and I take it down. So when she comes home, she looks up there, and she said, I can't believe you. You went up and got those lights in. I said, well, they needed to come down. It was a great sunny day. I wanted to get it down. And she just looked at me and she called me a stubborn donkey, except she didn't use the word donkey. <laughs> I think that's my nickname now. It used to be babe and now it's, you know, the other one. <laughs> but you see, I was being selfish. It, you know, there was no team flint there. It was just, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it on my own. There's needs that women have, wives have, and there's needs that men have. 
And they can only be met by our spouses. When we, at the altar, take those vows, we're saying, I'm not going to allow anybody else to meet my needs but you. And I'm vowing to do that. So how do you make them, uh, how do you work that out? For me and Charlene, this is what we do. We talk about everything. One of the needs of a woman is open and honest communication. So we sit down, we come home from work, and I just say, tell me, how is, what happened in work today? And sometimes it's really great. She tells me some neat things that happen about some, you know, being able to get these patients and sent off for surgery and all these kind of things. And sometimes it's a hard day. But I'm just sitting there listening. And then she'll ask me about my day. And I'll tell them, well, it was one of those days where Clayton had 15 meetings and, you know, and we were, you know, me and Kevin are back there sleeping because we, you know, we just can't handle 15 meetings in one day, you know, and so pray for me because <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> and so we share, we talk, we, we take, we took the five language, love language test a long time ago. Her love language is physical touch. And so for her, a hug, holding her hands, her laying her head on my chest, that's huge. My physical touch level is not that high up on that, but I'm not meeting, I'm meeting her need. And so you'll see us everywhere we go. I'm holding her hand. I'm giving her a hug. I'm letting her just let rest her head on my shoulder because it's not about me. I'm serving her and she is serving me. She knows my needs and, and meets those. That's how you fulfill law number two. Law number three, the law of partnership, and they become one flesh. And this is obviously talking about a sexual union because, you know, Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 2, and they're about, in 1 Corinthians, he's, he's sharing with them, you know, quit going to this temple and doing those things because sexual intimacy is only for a husband and a wife. And, and there's a, that when you come together like that, there's a, a, a line that you cross that you can't uncross. But it means more than that. This coming together of one flesh is, is a partnership of mind, of soul, of, of everything that we are. It, it's the really law of, of growing together. You've heard the term, well, we kind of grew apart and so we divorced. No, this is about growing together and coming together and keeping, you know, staying together. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, in my younger life, uh, you know, again, I was selfish. It was kind of about me. And uh, the lie in this is, is keeping secrets. If we're not going to grow together, you're going to grow apart. And a lot of times that's by keeping secrets, about not sharing everything there is out there. And I've learned that I can't do that anymore. I need to be open. And here, here are some things that you can ask. Are you completely surrendered to your spouse? This is how you can grow together. Are you surrendered to your spouse and everything? Is there something you're holding back and not sharing with them? You know, Ryland shot a video the other day, and there was a third question that he asked in there about, are you okay about being replaced? Knowing that the person that replaces you could do the job better than you. So that night, we had a long discussion on the couch <laughs> about, you know, is that a fear of mine to be replaced? Am I okay being replaced? And I am, but it's still at the same time, it's just not holding that back, allowing myself to be able to pour that out to Charlene and for her to be able to just sit there and listen and share back and encourage me because my love language is words of affirmation and she's always building me up. There's a neat thing in the book in The Four Laws of Love. It's called a purpose retreat. 
Have you ever thought to yourself, why did God bring the two of you together? You chose each other, but God brought you together. And have you ever thought, is there a reason why? And Charlene and I have talked a lot about this, and we really believe marriage ministry is why God really brought us together. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons, but the purpose of how we can serve Him together is through marriage ministry. And we do a lot of premarital counseling, and uh, it's just awesome. I love to have her in there with me when we're doing that, and it's just, it, it, we work as a team. How wide has God brought you together? Why are you together? The last law, and then I'll be wrapping this up, the call, the law of purity. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. If you thought about this, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were naked. But I think this exposure goes much deeper than that because there was no shame. They could be before God and themselves and not feel any kind of shame spiritually, emotionally, in their minds, with, through their eyes, whatever it was, there was no shame. But it was only when sin entered into the garden, when sin entered in, then they hid themselves with fig leaves. Well, why would they hide themselves? Because they felt shame for the very first time that they'd ever been together. Even to the point when God says, what's going on? What have you done? And Adam says, the woman did it. And, and actually, God, you gave me the woman. <laughs> so he's blaming God. And the woman says, uh, the serpent, the serpent lured me. And look at what happens. Sin entered in the garden for the very first time, and they're already pointing fingers because there was no trust. They had to hide themselves. And here we go. Are we hiding our emotions? What else are we hiding? How do we get this back? How do we get back to where it was in the garden? Well, we'll never get back to what it was like in the garden. But that doesn't give us an excuse for ignoring that last law of purity. Because look what entered into the garden that caused it in the first place, sin. So the first place that we have to start, we have to begin not only to examine ourselves, but we have to examine our relationship. And is there sin involved in our relationship that could be causing mistrust where we're afraid to open up and share anything in our marriage because how I might be attacked by sharing this. We have to get back to that point where we can be emotionally naked before our spouse and be able to share the deepest and darkest secrets. One of the things in there on the lie, it says keeping score. I'll keep score when I've been hurt and use it against my spouse to get even. How many times have we done that? How many times have we begun to get into a little bit of an argument and say, well, don't, don't you remember when you did this? And all of a sudden we bring something up from the past because that's the way we defend ourselves. And then all of a sudden the other one shuts down or one becomes more dominant or we split apart and we just say, well, we, you know, we'll disagree to disagree and we go off mad at each other. That's not how it's supposed to be because in 1 Corinthians 13, I use this in my wedding ceremonies, I tell the couples this, here are the things that you can practice in your marriage, the action steps. And one of them is not keeping score. What are some other things you can do? First, take responsibility for your own behavior. That means this. When you know there's an issue in the marriage, before you go to your spouse and say, hey, what about this? Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of the other person. Examine where you are. What, where are you at fault? Have a heart 
of forgiveness. Uh, speak the truth. Pray for each other. There's so many things that you can do to work on your relationship. One last thing before I close up. I want to talk about anger. It says this in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. It says, be angry. Hmm, interesting. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. There's a whole sermon or sermon series just on that. But I just want to say this. Guys, there's going to be times you're going to get angry in your, in your marriage. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not take that anger and take the next step and bring sin into your life by whatever the next step may be. Don't do that. Don't go to bed angry. Stay up. Work it out. Go to bed with a, a heart of forgiveness. Even though in your mind you may think they're wrong. Just say, Lord, I, please forgive me and, and for my action and ask for forgiveness before you go to bed. Charlene and I, uh, after a couple years after we went, were married, we went to a Weekend to Remember retreat. It was, it was just the two of us. And uh, we've been on a couple of these, but this one we went by ourselves and we just wanted to work on our marriage and one of the assignments they give you is kind of scary for guys i don't know about the women but it is for guys they say okay right now you're dismissed and you're going to go write a love letter to your spouse and you got like 30 minutes to write this love letter then you come back together and you read it to each other and it's like oh okay so i asked charlene if i had permission if i could share a little bit of what i wrote her and she said i could and so this is nothing about to look at me. I'm just saying open and honest, gentlemen, with your wives. Says Charlene, there is no way in a letter I can express all my thoughts and feelings and emotions I have felt and experienced with you. We've learned this weekend to receive, not accept each other as gifts from God. Even though that is true, I look at you as more than a gift. Gifts can be appreciated for a time. And then placed on a shelf. A gift can mean something for a season and lose its significance. Charlene, you were my life raft sent by God when I was drowning in a sea of distractions. You were my compass and a map sent by God as I wandered aimlessly in the forest of singleness and I was lost. You are the one treatment sent by God that could treat a broken heart that I never knew could be treated. And there were some other things I shared in there, but this is how I ended it because I meant this. And this is what I'm looking forward to. The best part I'm looking forward to is our marriage growing, becoming even more healthy. And my love for you to deepen even more. I realize there will be obstacles and barriers and the added blended family situation. But my promise is to focus on us. You rescued me, not just a gift from God, but saved me from drifting forever in a sea of no direction or companionship. I look forward to our adventure. It will be more than a few pictures on a wall, but a whole book filled with us memories. I look forward to the legacy that is entitled Matt and Charlene, that our grandchildren and great-grandchildren will know what a godly marriage looks like. I love you, Charlene.
What steps are you willing to take to work on your marriage? Maybe you're here and you're in a a broken marriage or maybe you're divorced. But what can you take from this to say, okay, next time, it doesn't matter. Next time, I'm going to move forward. First of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, God's principles work whether you know him or not. Here's the problem. If you don't know him personally, you won't have the power of the Holy Spirit to get you through the hard times and the obstacles. You're going to be doing it on your own power. And I don't know how you could do that. So I would encourage, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal personal Lord and Savior, our big thing here is Jesus changes everything. And he will change your life. And he will change your marriage. So before you leave today, meet with one of the ministers back here in the back and we'll share with you how you can come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But second of all, if you're with your spouse today, and I'm I'm being very specific and I know this isn't everybody in here, I'm going to challenge you to recommit your marriage. You're not coming to the altar. You're just going to sit there with them. I ask you to recommit your marriage to say this, I chose you before. But I'd choose you again and again. Rodin's going to come up and play, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you a few minutes just to recommit your marriage to your spouse. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I come before you now, and I give you all of this. This is your word. This is your covenant. And I acknowledge you. I pray for the individuals that are in here no matter what stage of life that they're in, that your word will ring true in their heart. If they don't know you personally, I pray today they will not walk out of this room without giving and surrendering their lives to you. But Lord, I want to pray very specifically for the married people that are in here right now, that they'll recommit their lives to each other. No matter where they are in their marriage, if they're a three, how can they be a four? If they're an eight, how can they be a nine? Through you, God, you can lead and guide and direct them. Use your word, Heavenly Father, to strengthen and to grow their marriage. And may you get the glory. I ask in Jesus' name.